0: Welcome to another edition of the Men and Tides Podcast. I do sincerely hope you all are having a lovely week, and that hopefully you will have an even better weekend. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Radio Public, Breaker, or YouTube. And please be sure to follow me on Twitter at IamFossitude for any and all future podcast information. Now, I'm recording this on Wednesday evening, so that I can try to have it edited and ready for listening either late Thursday or early Friday. So if there are any big stories that happen to break between now and whenever this podcast goes live, I will just cover it on the next one if I choose to. And today is, of course, another shooting the shit episode, which according to a friend, I am using the phrase properly. Cool. Uh, And, as I usually do on these post-Pay-Per-View episodes of the podcast, I will be discussing several topics from the world of professional wrestling and Hollywood, starting off with... WWE's first annual Stomping Grounds event. It was honestly much better than I had anticipated it being. It wasn't a great Pay-Per-View, but I genuinely thought it was a good one. Plus I got 8 out of 9 predictions correct, so that's something. And The Triple Threat Cruiserweight title match was on the kickoff show, because of course it was, it pretty much always is. But it was an awesome match, and was a great way to get fans hyped up for the main show, was one of the best matches of the entire pay-per-view. And Drew Gulak won the match, as I predicted correctly, which made me very happy. And right then, I was hopeful that we were gonna get a very good WWE pay per view for a change. You know, not saying that they've had a lot of bad pay per views lately, just they haven't had a lot of great ones. Now with the main pay per view kicked off with Becky Lynch defending the Raw Women's Championship against Lazy Evans, aka my future ex-wife number fifteen. Uh, I think this match was better than the one they had at Money in the Bank, but I still feel the match was not necessary because. Yeah, they had their match at Money in the Bank, Becky beat her cleanly, and Becky retained, and this one as well, cleanly, which to me was you know, too obvious anyway, but I was still happy to see her win because I wanted her to have a lengthy title reign. Uh, and I was actually talking to my friend London during the pay-per-view, and we both agreed that Lacey Evans was called up just a little too early from NXT. And I love Lacey Evans, you know, she's become one of my favorites because she just there's just something about her that just draws me in. You know, but she clearly needed more time and developmental to hone her skills and get rid of the greenness that she still seems to have. And I've actually been ah uh, watching, be watching the Breaking Ground show on the WWE Network and saw her featured on there. She clearly has the passion. She has the personality for this. It's just you know, just sometimes it feels like she's still a little hesitant and nervous to you know when she's in the ring. So, I mean, of course she'll she'll improve more with time. You know. Every wrestler does, but they should have waited a few more months before bringing her up to the main roster. And then the second match was KO and Sami Zayn versus The New Day, and I'll be honest, I only saw half this match because I was serving my dinner at the time that the match had started and was not completely paying attention. Uh, but what I did get to see, I enjoyed, and once again got a correct prediction with KO and Zayn. Winning and hopefully this will lead to better things for both men. Perhaps a shot at one of the tag titles on either Raw or SmackDown. But you know, I'll get to that a little later. And then we followed this with the United States Championship match. Samoa Joe defending against Ricochet. And as we all knew, this was another awesome match that I actually think should have gone an extra 10 minutes. To me, it reminded me a lot of the Excavation title matches that Joe used to have during his TNA run with guys like AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels. Which, if you've never seen those matches, I highly recommend that you check them out on the Impact Plus streaming service because they are phenomenal. Pun intended. And another correct prediction for me as Ricochet was able to defeat Joe to become the US champion, his first championship on the main roster. Topped with a heartwarming and genuine embrace from Triple H afterwards that all of us loved because, you know, we love Triple H. He's, you know, the, the daddy of NXT and we love NXT. And I am very much looking forward to seeing him have a hopefully lengthy title reign. And also, we got a nice little segment backstage later on in the show with Ricochet doing the photo shoot with the US title and he was interrupted by Luke Gallows, Carl Anderson, and AJ Styles wanting to take photos of him, and then day saying to Vicochet, I'll see you tomorrow champ. And that got a good pop from the crowd, and got a good reaction out of me as well. And I'll go into a little more detail about that one, when I cover Raw in a few minutes. Then we had the SmackDown Tag Team titles on the line. The Planet's Tag Team Champions Rowan and the new Daniel Bryan, defending against heavy machinery the crowd. Was very hot for this match because it was in Tacoma, Washington, just a little ways away from outside of Brian's hometown of Aberdeen, so the fans were 100% behind him from start to finish. And the match itself was good, uh, more of a standard SmackDown match though, but the crowd helped make it even more entertaining with their chance of We Recycle and Drive Up Prius, and I'm sure Brian got a kick out of those chants as well. But again, it was a very good match. They actually did a good job of having you think that Heavy Machina were actually gonna walk out as new champions, but alas, it was not to be as the planets tag team champions retained and now we wait for them to hopefully introduce some eco-friendly tag titles, because you know, I love the eco-friendly WWE title and I'm hopefully we'll get to see the eco-friendly tag team titles. And we followed this one up with Bailey defending the SmackDown women's title against the goddess Alexa Bliss, a.k.a. my future ex-wife number 3. Yeah, I know. It was a pretty damn good match. Much better than what we saw from them in 2017. And it went almost exactly as I predicted it to go. I mean, because I had predicted that Bailey would win by DQ with interference from Nikki Cross. And while we did get some Nikki Cross interference, it didn't end. By DQ, instead it was a distraction finish that cost Bliss the title after Bailey hit her with the Bailey to belly for the win. And then we come to the match that broke my perfect prediction streak: Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre. It was a good match as you know you'd expect it to be, but again, it's another one that I just saw no point in having. Yeah, and I predicted that Drew was going to win and then would set up some type of stipulation match at Extreme Rules, but instead Reigns won. And let's set up a two-on-one match uh, for Raw with Drew and Shane against Roman Reigns. And I'll get to that one in a little bit as well because there you are know, quite a few things to talk about for that one. And up next was the Steel Cage Championship match. Kofi Kingston versus Dolph Ziggler. Uh, and it was a good match. Nothing spectacular like it could have or should have been. But it was still pretty good. We didn't get the big dive off the top of the cage like I was hoping for. But... That didn't take away from the match itself. I mean, the ending was a unique one because we saw Dolph slowly crawling his way to the door to escape and win the match. But then Kofi at the last second came running from behind, leaped over Dolph, threw the ropes, and landed on the floor to score the win. And, uh, you know, see where Kofi goes from here. Once I cover Raw and SmackDown a little bit. And then we arrived to... Made main event, Seth Rollins versus Baron Corbin for the Universal Championship with the as of yet named Special Guest Referee, which Corbin finally announced, would be Lacey Evans. And I know the fans hated that, and I understand why, but from a storyline perspective, it made a lot of sense. Because Corbin knew that by having Lacey Evans as the guest referee, Seth Rollins was not going to do anything to her like he did to Elias and to EC3, and to Eric Young, and to everyone else on Lawn Smackdown last week, who were teased as potential guest referees on behalf of Baron Corbin. And the match itself, at least to me, was actually a pretty good match, and I would even say was one of Corbin's best matches in a very long time, uh, especially since coming up on the main roster. And Evans, of course, was being the asshole or bitch heel referee, making it no count out and no disqualification about halfway through the match and then this eventually blew up when lacy started slapping the hell out of seth which caused becky lynch to come out and even the odds and this of course helped seth to retain and obviously this was the meant to be up for some kind of tag match uh with baron corbin and lacy evans versus seth Rollins and becky lynch For, you know, likely for both the Universal and Women's titles, and for it to happen at Extreme Rules. And I'm honestly okay with it, because while not exactly a unique concept, it is one that we haven't seen in a very long time in WWE. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing what we get out of this one. And Monday Night Raw kicked off with a promo by Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch, and it started off as we figured it would with them trying to be cute and playful and, you know, being the Tumblr, you know, ship couple that, you know, if you are on Tumblr, you know exactly what I am talking about. Then, of course, Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans arrived. There was a mini scuffle, and then they officially made the match that I was talking about just a little while ago. Uh, you know, Corbin and Evans versus Rollins and Lynch for the for the Universal and Raw Women's titles, but with the added stipulation that if Corbin and Lacey lose, they don't get any more shots at the titles. Like, you know, whereas like. As Becky Lynch said it, she said that they are done, finito, you know, uh, uh, sayonara, uh, a bunch of other stuff, I don't remember. Uh, but yeah, basically, Corbin and Lacey lose, that's it, the story is done, and hopefully it will be done. Then we got our first match of the evening, an 8-man elimination tag team match with The New Day teaming up with The Usos to take on The Revival, Rowan and Daniel Byrne, which I guess... Uh, means those dirt sheet reports of Vince McMahon wanting to do more 2 out of 3 falls matches and elimination matches so that there won't be any wrestling during the commercial breaks are true. Eh, anyway, it was your standard Raw attack match, which doesn't mean it was bad, it was just kind of there. And Brian and Rowan were eliminated first after I believe it was Dash Wilder uh, hit Brian in a perceived act of retaliation after Brian accidentally hit Thanks, scott dawson with a suicide dive and i'm curious to see if wwe follows up on this in the coming weeks and the usos ended up scoring the winning pin and that was it nothing else of significance happened after this match and then we just move on and we followed this up with a Miz tv segment featuring 24 7 champion r truth then they recapped him regaining the title at drake maverick's wedding which i have to say Bless his, Drake Maverick's wife, because she's a real trooper for having go along with that. Because, you know, it's it's her wedding day, and she was okay with them filming that segment over there. But then again, you know, she's, you know, in the business as well, so I'm sure she understood the significance of that. <sighs> Anyways, uh, Truth ref- referred to it once again as the 48-7 European television title, which I loved. Uh, and then Drake came out that uh, what happened at the wedding ruined his life and then he hasn't been able to consummate the marriage because of it and truth uh, suggested adding fiber because he misunderstood Drake uh, saying that he thought the, that it was constipated <laughs> eh, I sure do love our truth he's, he's a treasure <laughs> and then Drake challenged him to a one-on-one match for the title where no one else would get involved you know suspending the 24/7 rules for this, the origin of this match and Truth accepted, so we got a non-24-7, 24-7 title match, and R-Truth retained with minimal effort, and then the normal 24-7 rules resumed, and we saw several wrestler's runs in the ring, including Titus O'Neil, EC3, Cedric Alexander, and the Lucha House Party chase off R-Truth through the crowd, as he usually does, and then Charlie Caruso came in to interview Drake, and he just simply walked off in sad silence. And then we move on to the two-on-one handicap match that i mentioned earlier with Drew McIntyre and Shane McMahon against Roman Reigns the match was contested under tornado rules which if you're unfamiliar with that term means that there was no tags and that Shane and Drew would be in the ring at the same time to fight Roman it was a decent enough match you know, and after a few good minutes Shane was about to hit do his signature coast to coast on Roman Reigns when suddenly Fucking Undertaker showed up saving Reigns by chokeslamming Shane punching the hell out of Drew before clotheslining both him and Shane out of the ring. And... <sighs> Why did he do this? I have no fucking idea. But I will tell you, I definitely got chills on that. Then we got the official news some later on in the show uh, that as a result of what happened, we would be seeing Shane and Drew taking on Roman and Undertaker at Extreme I. I don't know about you, but I'm actually excited to see this match, because one, the Undertaker is my second all-time favorite wrestler after Bret Hart, and two, I'm just genuinely curious to see what will come out of all this happening. Like, especially because, again, why did Undertaker save Roman Reigns? What is this going to lead to? Is this going to lead to something at SummerSlam? Who knows? But I'm very curious to find out. And then we had uh, an apparent tug-of-war between Braun Strowman and Barry Lashley, and I honestly didn't give a shit about this segment at all. So, moving on. Now, Charlie Crusoe was interviewing AJ Styles about his match with Ricochet happening later in the evening, when he stormed off annoyed by the sight of Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson dancing along in No Way Jose's conga line. And then Styles confronted him similarly to how we did on Raw last week, and we found out that Gallows and Anderson would be taking on the Viking Raiders, which was coming up right after the next commercial break, so let's get to that match. And it was a solid tag match, though, like the earlier eight-man tag, felt like your standard Raw match, you know, and was much shorter than it would have liked it to be. You know, and Galveston and Anderson lost again, and we saw a shot of Styles looking very annoyed and frustrated uh, while watching the match backstage, and very am curious to see what exactly will be the payoff to this story, you know? Hopefully it will be something that fans will, you know, enjoy, but who knows what we'll get Then we got a a nice little backstage segment with alexa bliss and nikki cross with nikki apologizing for costing bliss the match on the pay-per-view then they went to commercial break then they came back from break with natalia and naomi approaching nikki to convince her that bliss is evil and that she's using her and then bliss returned and we gotta got into Naomi's face and challenged her to a match to happen later in the evening and and we were supposed to have mojo wally versus heath slater but it was interrupted by R Truth being chased by the WWE superstars. And then Truth was ro- then rolled up after a little scuffle, rolled up by Heath to win the title. And then Truth a few seconds later regained the title, only to lose it again to Cedric Alexander, who was then hit by with the one uh, with the one by EC3 to crown him new champion. And then he lost it back to R Truth after Carmelo distracted him for the roll up. Five new champions in three minutes. <laughs> only in WWE. And by the way, poor EC3, I mean, he was one of my absolute favorites when he was in TNA, and I was so excited to see him come back to WWE as the EC3 character after being called up to the main roster from NXT, he's just floundered, and oh, it just praise my heart, it really does. I mean, his character is one that you'd think would be perfect for WWE TV, but I guess the reports of Vince not seeing anything special in him are true. Very unfortunate. And then up next, we had a WWE champion Kofi Kingston versus Sami Zayn, but before the match itself, we had an entertaining promo from Kofi, Sami, and Kevin Owens. Mostly entertaining because of KO and Sami, of course. And then another standard Raw match, but still enjoyable, nothing special though, Kofi won. Then Owens challenged Kofi to to a match right then and there, so Kofi can prove he's the great fighting champion he always says that he is, and of course he accepted. This was a bit of a standard raw match as well, and a little better than the Sammy match, but, you know, particularly for the SOS at the bottom of the ramp to Owens. Fucking ouch, man. Wow. And then led to Kofi winning the match via out. but the real highlight of this? Uh, Samoa Joe coming out to attack Kofi afterwards, and uh, I loved it. I loved Joe. I loved this little moment, and I was 100% cheering this, and I... No, I was not the only one, and gets more about that on SmackDown. <laughs> and after this, we had the Bliss vs. Naomi match that we learned about earlier in the evening, and it was entertaining enough, nothing special. Bliss won after Naomi accidentally hit Nikki Cross with a baseball slight kick. And then Bliss uh, held up Naomi for Nikki to attack, so she shoved her, and the process, ended up shoving Alexa to the mat and had a shock that confused look on her face. Then Natalia came in. To save Naomi, which turned that into a tag match, and then they came back from break and the match started. And man, nothing special here, lex and Nikki won this match. Whatever. Moving on, and then we finally arrived at our main event of the evening AJ Styles versus Ricochet, and it was a very good match, not the standard Raw match like I was saying about the others earlier. No, but Gals and Innocent showed up after the first five minutes with some minor interference, causing AJ Styles to get on the mic and saying the match will not continue until you both leave. And which transitioned into the last commercial break of the evening, and then when they turned from break, the match was reset and restarted, um, uh, which is just a weird way to put it, but anyways, and those non-stop high fly, flying action ensued, which is exactly what we wanted to see, culminating with a phenomenal form to score the pinfall for AJ, and then Styles raised Ricochet's hand in respect to close the show. And overall, I thought this was a good Raw. Not a great Raw, but a good Raw for a post-pay-per-view, you know, episode. And I know there will be others out there who'll say that it sucked. Especially because we didn't get a Firefly Funhouse segment this week, which was weird. Wonder why we didn't get one. But I didn't let that stop me from enjoying the show. Plus we did see Abby the Witch and Mercy the Buzzard very subtly hidden during Bad Jake's segments of The Miz and Kofi Kingston. I wonder what that could eventually lead to. We now move on to SmackDown Live, which we learned this week will have its Fox premiere on Friday, October 4th, so make sure you mark that date on your calendars. And SmackDown kicked off with a recap of what went down with Shane, Reigns, McIntyre, and Undertaker, and then we cut to a shot of Shane backstage saying everyone on the SmackDown roster better not get on this bad side because he's Pissed. Yep. Then the New Day came out and we got the confirmation of Kofi Kingston defending the WWE Championship against Samoa Joe at Extreme Rules. So yay for that. Then Kofi would then cut the standard fighting champion promo until he was interrupted by Dolph Ziggler because I guess it still should have been him. Then uh, we then found out Kofi and Dolph would have a 2 out of 3 falls match in the main event. Uh, The no wrestling during commercial breaks thing is going to stick, I guess. Then afterwards, we got the rest of New Day, Big E and Xavier Woods, taking on the SmackDown Tag Team Champions Rowan and Daniel Bryan in a non-title match. But before the match began, we got a quick backstage segment with Elias and The Miz outside of Shane's office, where Miz declared that they have unfinished business, and then Shane said he'll fight Miz one more time if he can beat Elias in, wait for it, a 2 out of 3 falls match. Yeah. Anyway, we finally got to the ring, and it was a good match when as you would expect it to go with these men. Enjoyed it a lot more than I did the Tag matches on Raw. But that's just me. And New Day scored the pinfall after hitting Brian with the midnight hour. Or is it the up, up, down, down? I don't know. And then the celebration was cut short when Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens arrived to beat up on Woods and E, but they were saved by heavy machinery, and what happened next? That's right, you guessed it, an 8-man tag match. This is a good one as well, though I will admit that I'm getting tired of WWE doing this over and over and over again. I mean, give me something new, please. Anyways, Otis got the pin, I think it was him. And I'm guessing this is going to lead to them having a Four Corners match for the tag titles with New Day, Machinery, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, and Rowan, and Brian. But you know, we'll see. They'll probably confirm it on Raw or SmackDown next week. Um, and they showed highlight package of everything that went on with Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross from Raw, and then learned that we'd see Nikki Cross taking on Bailey uh, with the stipulation that if Nikki wins, Bliss gets a rematch for the SmackDown Women's Title at Extreme Rules. So cool. And then we got the Miz versus Elias, and the first of our two out of these Falls matches for the evening. And it went exactly as we knew it would, you know, lots of shenanigans with Shane interfering, beating up Miz, and then it was over. Moving on. In the next segment, we had an interview with Finn Balor, glad to see him back on TV, where he was asked by Kayla Braxton, HEY, KAYLA! who he had in mind as his next challenger for the Intercontinental Championship. But before he could answer, Shinsuke Nakamura showed up, said nothing, did the little thing with his hands, and then walked away. And I guess we'll be getting this match at Extreme Wolves as well, and I'm all for it. Let's do this, man. And following this, we had the Nikki Cross vs. Bailey match, as I mentioned before. And I enjoyed the match more than the women's matches that we saw in Raw, but that's mainly due to me just loving Bailey a lot, and as I've mentioned on this podcast several times before. And of course, Nikki Cross got the victory, earning Alexa Bliss that rematch at Extreme Wolves, so we'll see how that one will go, and... If I will have any added stipulations. Then we had a little backstage segment that started with Mandy Rose and Sony Deville with Carmella for about 10 seconds. Then our Truth popped out from a crate behind Carmella. and Drake Maverick showed up approaching Truth and Carmella. Begging and pleading with Truth for another fair chance at the title. And Truth, you know, felt bad for him. Hugged him said, you know, if it means that much to you, go get a referee. And then he said, psych! I love this belt more than You Love Your Wife, and he ran off, was chased down by the roster again, with everyone chasing him and knocking Drake Maverick in the process. Um, now, I really do wonder how long this is going to be able to last before it loses all steam, but hopefully it won't lose any steam anytime soon, because I love, I'm loving all this, I really am. Then up next, we had Ember Moon versus Sonny Deville. And honestly, this match surprised me with how much I really enjoyed it. And it just proved to me that both women are very deserving of a proper shot at either of the women's championships because they are that good. Uh, especially Sonya Deville, you know, who she got the win for this match, of course. Uh, well, I shouldn't say of course, but you know. Um, I don't. know. I say Sonya Deville should get a women's title shot at Summerslam, but that's just my thought. You know, will she get it? I don't know. Probably not, but they she should get it. She's more than deserving she has earned her spot Then after this match we had another one of the alice of black promos uh this one seeing him extra frustrated because he keeps begging for a fight begging for someone to to accept his challenge and no one has answered yet and then we hear a knock at the door lights turn off for a quick second and the segment ends with black giving a kind of creepy smile that I imagine his wife, Zelina Vega, enjoyed. <laughs> and then finally we arrived at our main event, the second of the two out of three falls matches with Dolph and with Kofi Kingston, with the stipulation that if Dolph wins, he will be added to the WWE Championship match at Extreme Rules, making it a triple threat match. And this wasn't a, this was a bad match. This was a very good match, but I was honestly kind of bored while watching it, you know? Uh, and Kofi won, so therefore it'll still be one on one Between him and Joe. At least for now. Now, overall, I mean, this was an okay SmackDown. I honestly enjoyed Brawl just a little bit more, but that's just me. And hopefully, it will get better in the coming weeks as we get closer to Extreme Rules. And we also got more little backstage teasing with Firefly Funhouse characters, once again subtly hidden in the background, as we saw Huskus the Pig Boy, who was, of course, introduced in the awesome Muscle Man episode. Uh, popping up behind Dan O'Brien and Rowan when they were coming out for their match against New Day, and then Ramblin' Rabbit in the background, very, very subtly hidden in the background during that brief Mandy rossellini Deville Carmella segment. And again, I wonder where all of this teasing will eventually lead us. You know, Will we see more teasing on Raw and SmackDown next week? Will the former Eater of Worlds officially make his return on Raw and SmackDown next week? Yeah, I guess we'll just have to keep on watching. Uh, Now on to one of the hot stories to come out of the world of pro wrestling this week. Coming from an interview with Seth Rollins on the Sports Illustrated Media podcast, where he shared his thoughts on the recent comments made by the man formerly known as Dean Ambrose, John Moxley, specifically his criticisms of the creative process in WWE when he was a guest on Chris Jericho's podcast, Talk is Jericho. In Seth's interview, he made the following comments ambrose can do what he wants he's a big boy he's got his big boy pants on he can go out there and say whatever he wants but the bottom line is not everyone's equipped to handle the the rigors of wwe and the schedule and how it affects you mentally and emotionally ambrose gave everything he had to the company for the entire time he was here he put his heart and soul into the travel into the schedule into the injuries into the work in the ring and all that stuff but at the end of the day he took his ball and he went home, or he went elsewhere at least. And I think it's a little presumptuous of him to get on a podcast and talk, about, talk down about the company that gave him such an opportunity. Now, what are my thoughts on what Seth said? Well, I honestly can't tell if these are Seth's genuine feelings or if he's just talking like a company guy. Especially since his recent tweets are painting him as such a super company guy in the eyes of some fans and they're not liking it. <laughs> Um, and I actually have, have listened to the Talk is Jericho interview with Moxley, and from what I remember, uh, he never actually said anything bad about the WWE as a whole, you know, and said he was, he spoke very highly of the WWE, thanking them for giving him a career, for giving him the chance to travel the world, for giving him the chance to make a difference in the lives of young fans everywhere, and for being the place where he met his wife Renee Young. The only negative comments that he made were about the creative handling of his character, especially by Vince McMahon, and how frustrated he was with a lot of what they did with him during his over six years on the roster. Uh, I mean, Ronald's comments aren't exactly out of line, but at the same time, you should understand that Moxley was unhappy with the creative direction of his character and wanted to do more hence why he is now wrestling with promotions like new japan and aew and i love seth but uh, it just seems to me that he's just being a wwe super pro company guy and trying not to speak out of turn as they say and if these are his true genuine feelings then i don't know <laughs> And now a segment that was actually requested by a very good friend of mine, because, well, because it actually involves her. (laughs) And I guess you can technically say this is an exclusive report from me, since after checking into it myself, I found that no wrestling news sites or dirt sheet websites have said anything about this at all. I guess maybe they thought it wouldn't get enough traffic on their sites. Whatever. But, you know, what am I talking about, you ask? Well, I'm talking about the man with two hands and a fighting chance, James Ellsworth. As many fans in the internet wrestling community, or IWC for short, might remember, there was a story that broke out last year of a 16-year-old girl with claims that she received certain photos and videos of James uh, via Snapchat. And of course, social media being the way it is, fans jumped on the story and used it as an opportunity to come after James on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and essentially harassing him to the point that he took a complete break from social media for a while. And, you know, I don't blame him for that at all. You know, I've been considering doing it myself for a while. Now, why am I covering this, you ask? Well, it is because for the last two years, James has been in a loving and committed relationship with my very good friend and former indie wrestler from the New York, New Jersey area, Spira Andover. And I'm omitting her real name to respect her privacy and because I'm not a dick. And also, when I say my very good friend, I don't mean it as, she liked my tweets. I mean my best friend now. I mean that I've actually met her, have actually hung out with her, have had real conversations with her and I've been real friends with her for almost 10 years now and in situations such as this one I become somewhat of a protective older brother with her and that will never change. So as you can imagine when the allegations against James came out I went on the defense for James and of their relationship because I actually had known about them being together for about a year and a half at that point first learning of it when she texted me a picture of James wearing the same Macho Man tank top that I have and calling us twinsies. Hell, I'm even wearing that tank top right now as I record this. So when she asked me to talk about this on the podcast, of course I said yes and quickly added it to my itinerary of what I'll be talking about on this podcast, even officially naming this segment of the pod, James Ellsworth Finds Love. She really liked that one. And, And not meaning to talk shit about the girl who came out with the allegations. But in my attempts to be an investigative journalist, I found that she is known to essentially beg wrestlers at local indie shows to follow her on her social media. And has made similar claims about other wrestlers as well. And again, not meaning to talk shit about her. But the evidence I found doesn't exactly paint such an innocent portrait of her either that's why during the period that this story had broken out, I kept telling everyone that they don't know the full story and shouldn't be so quick to judge what they don't know because I knew the truth about the whole thing, almost immediately. Uh, he was called all kinds of nasty names and received all kinds of hateful labels, and I defended him without question, losing a few social media friends in the process, and I'm okay with that. And then they both made the decision recently to go social media public with their relationship posting a few pictures on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook over the last few weeks. And of course, this invited the, te- the attention of the trolls saying stupid and shit like, She's 16 years old, man. How much did you pay her to take this picture? And first of all, she's 28 years old. And second, if your fans are going to be trolling on their relationship, at least try to be more creative. And also, some fans kept asking if Carmela knows about them being together. Because apparently they thought James and Carmella were dating for real. No, they were never dating. It was a storyline. <sighs> as we all learned, back in February, Carmella is actually dating Corey Graves. And that story broke out in dramatic fashion as well after Graves' wife or ex-wife or whatever she is, I'm not really sure at this point, put it out there claiming that he cheated on her with Carmella. Another story that turned out to be false once the facts were made available. Then Graves and Mella kept quiet about their relationship since then, until James started posting the pictures of him and Spyra, and that gave her the confidence to start sharing pictures of herself with Graves. Well, that's a nice little happy ending for everyone. (laughs) So there you have it, the facts of the situation reported exclusively by me on the podcast. Spira, if you're listening, hope to see you and James again soon. And moving on to the non wrestling topics of this episode, we have some new information regarding the new Matrix film, which I briefly discussed a few weeks ago. Uh, an apparent exclusive coming from discussing film. Here is a little quote from there. Last month, Chad Stahelski. to yahoo movies that the wachowski brothers will be returning in some format in the new matrix film he reportedly told the outlet i'm super happy wachowskis are not just doing a matrix but they're expanding what we all love and if it's anywhere near the level of what they have already done it wouldn't take more than a call to go hey we want to we want you to be a stunt guy and i would probably go in and get hit by a car uh, however, Slash Film has since reported that the comment is inaccurate and was taken out of context, but nevertheless, we have heard a new Matrix film is happening soon. That Warner Brothers, with the Wachowskis set to return to direct, as previously reported by THR, the Hollywood reporter, Zach Penn will write the screenplay, and Michael B. Jordan will star. We have learned that the Wachowskis will return to direct the film and will begin production in early 2020 in Chicago. They have been secretly prepping the film under the working title Project Ice Cream. Plot details are currently under wraps for the film. However, the project is already beginning to fill out its crew with Hugh Bateman, who was an art director in the 1999's Matrix, set to return to the franchise as a production designer for the film. Michael B Jordan's Outlier Society Productions and Warner Brothers will produce the film. It is currently unknown whether the film will be, still be a reboot or will be a sequel to the previous trilogy. Uh, Very interesting news, to say the least. Uh, And then, you know, one of the big questions, of course, is what will the story for this, as of now, untitled Matrix film be? Uh, And again, that's one of the questions of fans all over the world, including myself, and then the other big question is will we see the return of Keanu Reeves as Neo, the protagonist of the original Matrix trilogy? Hopefully we will get even more information soon Regarding this film. Yeah, and I am a fan of the Matrix trilogy. I, as I've commented a while back, I have the Matrix box set uh, that I purchased on Black Friday last year at a wonderfully, wonderfully discounted price of $10. And, you know, can't wait to add this new one to my collection as well. <laughs> Moving on to an interview that Dave Bautista did with The Hollywood Reporter recently while promoting his new film, Stuber. And in, the interview, in the interview, he opened up about his passionate support of James Gunn when the story broke out a year ago that Marvel and Disney had dropped him from Guardians of the Galaxy Vol. 3 in light of some controversial tweets that someone had decided to dig up on him, as well as his excitement of getting to work with Dennis Villeneuve on Dune and Zack Snyder on Army of the Dead, and here are some excerpts from that interview. <clears throat> you publicly stood up for your friend James Gunn, and lo and behold, there was a happy ending. However, I'm curious about how your team or inner circle felt during that time, given how well your career has been going. Did they try to talk you out of that Dave versus Goliath situation? And Dave replied, "I'm in a different age. I'm with a different agency now." And I think my agents at the time were a little concerned. (laughs) He laughs. They were never negative about it. They were never judgmental about it. But they were also worried that I would damage my career. But they knew how I felt about it personally. I was with Gersh Agency. And my last agent was named Bert Norensberg. We were actually really good friends. We were very close. So he understood that this was a personal issue with me. So, he never tried to stand in the way or stop me from doing anything or taking a stance. He understood, but I think he was concerned. The other major part of my team is Jonathan Meisner. He's my manager, but first and foremost, he's my best friend. We've been friends since we were teenagers, as he's always been with me throughout my life and career. He's been 100% supportive. So, how did Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead come together? Can you say a little bit about your character? Batista's response. I've been talking to Zack Snyder for years now. We've been trying to do a project together. I met Zack years ago, and always loved him. I had an instant connection with this guy. He's my type of director. He's kind of a man's man. He likes to train a lot, and he's all tatted up. We just kind of understand each other. we have been talking about this other project, which is really a really great acting role for me. It's a passion project for him, but for one reason or another, we just couldn't get it going. Probably the last photograph. When he got a hold of army of the dead he actually wrote a smaller part for me in there as he was gearing up for casting he started thinking about who his lead would be and he told me this personally one day it just clicked god Dave is not that part Dave is my lead so he called me asked me if i would do it and i said hell yeah i'd be happy to do it i'd really i really just want to work with zach Uh, and he received rave reviews for your performance as sapper morton in blade runner 2049 Great film by the way, you guys should really check it out. And Dennis Verve clearly agrees since he invited you back for Dune. I know you're joining the production at the end of June, but what's your impression of the Beast as well as Dennis's take on the film so far? And this is Dave's response, it's brilliant. For me to sit and read Dune, it's hard. The way I read, it's hard for me to stay focused for that long, but his take on Dune is very true to the books. If you know his style of filmmaking, it's perfect. He was tailor-made to do this. I hope he won't mind that I'm saying this, but when I talked to him about Dune, he said that he really wanted to pay honor to the books. He was such a fan of the books growing up, so people who are fans of the book are just going to love this film. They're actually going to see all these characters brought to life. He's absolutely, without a doubt, the best person to do it. Uh, Alright, now after reading this interview, I have grown to really like and respect Dave even more than I already did. You know, makes me want to just sit down with him and just chat about whatever, because he just seems like such a down-to-earth dude, you know? And I am honestly touched by his loyalty to James, I really am. As I've said several times before, he practically owes all of his success in Hollywood to gun. So of course he was going to stick by him when all that drama was going down last summer. And I also really love that he is a Zack Snyder fan, you know, and loves Zack Snyder so much. I feel like not enough people in Hollywood speak out in favor of Zack, which is very unfair because the guy has never done anything except make movies. Now, he's never done anything bad. All he's did was, all he's done is make some movies that some people didn't like. That's all. But I'm very excited to see him in Army of the Dead and Dune next year. And I also strongly believe that Dave will get inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame next year as well, which he definitely deserves. So hopefully it does happen. Alright, I'm going to take a break now so I can catch my breath, get some more water for me to drink, so I can prepare for the second half of this podcast. So don't go anywhere because I will be right back. Alright, I am back. Let's get back into this. If you just... We have a little bit of info regarding the upcoming Joker film that I wanted to briefly talk about here. Coming from Joker Movie News on Twitter, a source for all things to do with the film, we have a content advisory for the Joker, and here's what was reported by them. Content advisory for Joker movie. Rated R for the following. Mild sex and nudity. Severe violence and gore. Severe profanity. Moderate alcohol, drugs, and smoking. Severe. Severe frightening and intense scenes. Now, assuming all of this is true, and really, we have no reason to believe otherwise, this makes me even more excited to see it. Because when I first found out that this film was being made, I was honestly unsure of how I felt about it. I mean, I love Joaquin Phoenix. I think he's a phenomenal actor. And I'm a fan of Todd Phillips' films. So, yeah, I'll give the film a fair chance. Uh, I didn't really have much expectations for it. But then that trailer premiered, and holy shit, does it look amazing. Uh, And honestly, they don't have to show anything else about this. They don't have to show any other trailers. I don't need any other trailers, because that first trailer was all the motivation I needed to want to go see this movie opening day, and I will see it opening day. I don't go to see a lot of movies opening day, but this is going to be one that I will see opening day, and I'll have my review for it later that weekend as well. Now, remember, it's Walking Phoenix, that's Arthur Fleck in Joker, in theaters everywhere, October 4th. And now we move on to some rumors regarding the recently canceled DC Universe show, Swamp Thing. Now, there are many different stories as to exactly why the show was canceled, and I don't know if we'll learn the real reason for it anytime soon, but according to a story coming from BloodyDisgusting.com, Warner Brothers may be considering developing Swamp Thing as a feature-length film. Now, it's important to note that the initial report came from We Got This Covered, who most of us know is a mostly bullshit publication because they say they reported a lot of shit that does not come true. But, Bloody Disgusting uh, noted that they can confirm the validity of the report. No official announcement has been made at the moment. But the rumor is that there is a Swamp Thing feature film being considered, that it would be a horror film, and that James Wan, who was the series executive producer of Swamp Thing, would be involved as well, and that it would have absolutely no connection to the series, and would have a completely new cast. And that part in particular angering fans the most, and understandably so. Uh, and with all that said, many fans are doing everything possible to try to save the series with the... Hashtag Save Swamp Thing campaign. Efforts that series star Derek Mears fully supports. There's what he has to say on it. I like to go through it and I've never been a part of something. Anything I create or I'm a part of, I'm always expect I always expect fifty percent are going to like it, fifty are going to like it because it's art and it's subjective, but I haven't been part of something where the majority of the response is being embraced and loved by the fans. Being that I love it I'll go in and check on some of the hashtags and see what people are saying. The thing that I love about everyone trying to do the safe swan thing, the hashtag, they kind of police their own, going, don't be a jerk about it. We're going to be polite. We're not going to bash people. But we're going to move forward and try to make this a movement. And I'm like, that mindset alone, that mindset alone just tells me the quality of people that will watch the show and makes me want to reach out or work harder, to pacify them because they have the right mindset, and that should be rewarded, and it's a positive one, and not a destructive one, and I applaud that. Now, now as a big fan of the Swamp Thing character and the story, having loved the two original films, especially the first one directed by Wes Craven, the cartoon, the comics, and the original series that aired on the USA Network in the early 90s, I will honestly be okay with either outcome in all of this. Whether it be the series being renewed for more seasons or starting from scratch with a movie, I'm just happy to see the character back in mainstream pop culture again. looks And we also learned this week that production for James Gunn's The Suicide Squad is set to begin on september twenty third and is expected to wrap up by January 31st of next year in Atlanta, Georgia, according to a new report from Geeks Worldwide. When asked if the follow-up to David Ayer's Suicide Squad is a direct sequel or reboot, gotten told E.T., Entertainment Tonight, "Um, you know, these terms are all so narrow. There are so many terms. It is what it is. You'll see it in two years when it comes out. Now, whether or not this is a is a sequel or a reboot, the film will in fact include returning characters Harley Quinn, played by Margot Robbie, Captain Boomerang, played by Jay Courtney, Rick Flagg, played by Joel Kinnaman, and Amanda Waller, played by Viola Davis, with newcomers to the franchise David Dasmachian, as Polkadot Man, Aegis Elba, rumored to be playing Bronze Tiger, and John Cena, who is rumored for the role of Peacemaker, a.k.a. Christopher Smith. Now, while I'm generally excited to see what gun will give us in this film. Like many fans, I'm still so confused by the whole it's a sequel, not a sequel, it's a reboot, not a reboot thing, because no explanations given by anyone have made any sense to me, particularly from producer Peter Safran. <laughs> but regardless of that, I very much look forward to learning even more about this film in the coming months, and maybe we'll get a teaser clip sometime soon between now and San Diego Comic Con or New York Comic Con, uh, similar to the teaser clip we got for Birds of Prey uh, earlier this year. And if we don't, that's fine as well, because I'll still be in that theater watching The Suicide Squad on opening weekend, opening day, whichever one. But and as of right now, as of this recording, Suicide Squad sequel or non-sequel, whatever, The, sui- the Suicide Squad will be in theaters as of right now. August 6, 2021. So we have a little bit of news regarding some of the, as of right now, current DCEU actors and their roles in the DCEU. Last weekend, or the weekend before that, whatever. Ray Fisher was at Celebrity Fan Fest in San Antonio, and of course, you know, regarding the Snyder Cut of Justice League, he said, uh, mentioning if he'd love to see it, and saying, If I had the power, absolutely, because of course, it's all in the hands of Warner Brothers right now. And Ray also reflected on the fact that there's still plenty of Cyborg story left to tell, and shared what he would like to see in the future from Cyborg's movie. He, he noted, I think there's still some repairing that has to take place between Cyborg and his father in that relationship. I think there's also a lot of ground to explore how much technology is too much technology for humanity, and how fast technology is evolving, and the role that Cyborg could play in potentially mitigating the issues that would come about because of that. You're dealing with a character who can, with a thought, launch all of the nuclear devices on the planet. In Justice League, I think we see Cyborg fighting against the machine, and I would like to see what it would be like if he becomes so comfortable with himself that he actually gives in too too much to the machine side, and it ends up being too much so. There's really no end to the kinds of stories that you could tell about a story like this, especially as technology is evolving. Now, I mean, clearly, you know, he's still a little upset, not more than we are. And his story was, you know, kind of chopped up so much and mostly thrown away in Justice League. And he's been very vocal about wanting to see the release of the Snyder Cut, just like we all are. Encouraging us to continue that fight and never give up. Because he loved playing this character so much and wants to continue playing him for as long as possible. And hopefully he will get that so- that solo cyborg film that was supposed to have a 2020 release, which of course isn't happening. But hopefully, he will still eventually get that film. And we also have a sort of update on Ezra Miller uh, and his uh, attachment to The Flash. With this little bit of info coming from Variety.com as part of their Power of Pride list 2019, and it reads, Miller, who plays the ultra-swift superhero The Flash, will get his DC Universe standalone film as soon as he wraps up his work on the Harry Potter spin-off series Fantastic Beasts. Now, does this officially confirm that Ezra is still The Flash for the DCEU? Not really, but I hope so, because I like him as an actor and I like him as The Flash. Or at least, the version of The Flash that wasn't an obvious Joss Whedon reshoot. And I also hope that this means that uh, Warner Brothers accepted this script that he apparently co-wrote with Grant Morrison. But, until we get something official, we can only hope for the best. And while on the subject of the DCEU... No protectors here. No lanterns. No Kryptonian. This world will fall. Like all the others. We have some more information regarding the Snyder Cut. Particularly with regard to the audio clip you guys just heard. Uh, Ever since we learned that Ray Porter was cast as the voice of Darkseid, fans had been speculating on if it was Steppenwolf or Darkseid reciting those lines. Eventually that debate was squashed by Porter himself on Twitter when he confirmed that it was not him saying that no protectors line. But according to an apparent exchange of messages on Vero between Zack Snyder and a fan named Gibian Matthew, sorry if I said your name wrong, it appears that we now know the words were being spoken by Steppenwolf while reporting to DeSad, who was an important follower of Darkseid if you you are familiar with the comics that is Uh, and then Gibian shared a screenshot of the message and a lot of fans jumped on him saying it was fake but turns out that it may indeed be legit according to realanarchy.com's John Aaron Garza who took it upon himself to investigate the situation further so my takeaway from this is it means that there was Even more characters that we were meant to be introduced to in Zack Snyder's Justice League, but were ultimately denied that experience. And this also brought up some older apparent stories that legendary actor John Cleese was apparently cast as the Sod, with fans even sharing an image of him sitting in a makeup chair with a stack of DC comic books on the table next to him. Uh, Just another piece of the ever-growing puzzle that is the Snyder Cut of Justice League. Uh, Which leads me to my next topic. Another update on Project Comic Con, because I just love talking about these guys. As I talked about last week, level 4 of the campaign has been achieved, and level 5 has been unlocked. Which, of course, is the mobile billboard that will make the rounds in the area surrounding San Diego Comic Con. And the latest update on where their donations sit, $25,373. And there are still two weeks left to make the goal for the digital mobile billboard. And I have faith in you guys that this goal will be achieved well before that deadline of July 13th. And all the blogger sites want to talk about the money we've raised, many of them omitting the part that half of the money will be going to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And they write these headlines that make it seem like all the money that has been donated is just for the movie. And that is what feeds into the hate that fans and members of the release of movement receive on social media. And, you know, I don't remember any of these sites talking so much shit like they do about us, about the Marvel fans who did the rehire James Gunn campaign where they put all the money donated, went to a billboard at Disney World, and did nothing else with that money, but a campaign where we're bringing awareness to the injustice, pun intended, that Zack Snyder went through with his movie, and also donating to a charity in honor of the daughter Zack lost means we're bad people? Fuck that noise. What we're doing is a good thing that will help a lot of people all over the world, and we will continue to do so even after Warner Brothers eventually releases the Snyder Cut, because the movie just one goal. It's not the overall mission. It is more. Much more. One last thing I wanted to talk about before I conclude this episode. snyder not related. The movement has made it to the Washington Post. That's right. It has reached the Washington Post, another national publication with an article titled more than a year later, Justice League fans are ramping up demands to release the Snyder Cut. And this one is a much more positive article than the recent Ringer article, and definitely way more positive than, than the one from the Wall Street Journal last year. This is the kind of noise we've needed to make a bigger impact and show Warner Brothers just how serious we really are about this campaign and this movement. Now only time will tell how much of an impact this article will make. But in the meantime, we will keep fighting. Release the Snyder Cut. <sighs> and that is it for this week's edition of the men Insights Podcast. Hope you all enjoyed listening, and if you didn't enjoy it, thanks for tuning in anyway. Now please be sure to tune in next week because I... Well, I I have no idea at the moment, honestly. But I do know that the following week I will be back with my predictions for WWE's 11th annual Extreme Rules event. Yeah, another damn pay per view already. You know, I really wish WWE would cut down on the pay per views because it really is becoming too much to keep up with. Now, what I would suggest would be doing away with so many gimmick match pay per views and only ha- having the World Rumble, WrestleMania. Keep, maybe keep money in the bank. That's SummerSlam, Clash of Champions, and Survivor Series. And that's it. Just have six pay-per-views a year so that storylines can be allowed to build and to grow and give the fans a reason to give a shit about them. But whatever. I have my predictions for that up in two weeks, so I hope you'll tune in for that one. Also, I am planning on seeing Spider-Man Far From Home on Tuesday, so I'll have my review for that one up sometime next week. Uh, And the early reactions have been overwhelmingly positive, with with some even going as far as to say that it's better than Spider-Man 2, which is still my favorite Spider-Man film. Now, if Far From Home turns out to indeed be the better film, then that's great. I hope it is. As a big fan of these kind of movies, I'm always hopeful. That they will be better than the previous ones because then everyone benefits from them. Um, but yeah, I'll be seeing that on Tuesday, and I will have my review for it up either later that day or on Wednesday. Oh, more likely Wednesday. No, but hope you all check that one out as well. And again, don't forget to subscribe to the Minotax Podcast on Spotify. Google Podcast, CastBox, Radio Public Breaker, or YouTube. And follow me on Twitter, at IamFozitude, for all podcast updates, or if you just want to chat with me about whatever. I'm always good for that. You can also follow me on Instagram, at Fozitude, to enjoy some of the pictures and memes that I post on there from time to time. Also, I wanted to take this moment to encourage you all to please check out and subscribe to the Ping Pong Flicks show on Spotify. It's a great show hosted by Chris Wong Swenson, who up until now was exclusive to YouTube, but now he's on Spotify. Now he's a great guy, full of positivity, big fan of all things DC, Godzilla, and Power Rangers. And I hope you all will subscribe to him and give him some love. I'll provide the link to his show in the description for this podcast, as well as links to all the articles that I referenced on this podcast. And feel free to support the Manitites podcast by donating on Patreon. If you become a patron of the podcast, you can submit any suggestions of topics for future podcasts with your donations. No topic is off limits, so feel free to send me any suggestions you want, and I will consider all of them. Also, if you donate, you'll be contributing to the improvement efforts for the podcast that include better recording equipment so I can provide superior quality sound for you all. Improved content, and eventually the opportunity—the opportunity for me to start interviewing people on this podcast. So, if you would like to see or rather hear all of that happen, then please make a contribution to the Hall of Justice. That's right, Hall of Justice. That's the official nickname I've given my little recording studio because, of course, I would. Why not? <laughs> anyway, the link to that is in the description as well. And as always, thank you all so much for tuning in, and for subscribing. I love each and every single one of you who do. I truly, genuinely do. I hope you all enjoy your weekend. Spend it with your loved ones if you can. This has been the Men and Ties Podcast. I am Julian, and I will see you all next time.